Hi, thank you so much for joining me today. This is The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. Let's take another look at a book that uh, I have on my shelf here by Fuzz Rana. He's part of Reasons to Believe. It's called The Cell's Design. The subtitle, How Chemistry Reveals the Creator's Artistry. And it's a 2008 book, so it's not particularly new. But, and, and part of it is a little tough to, to read some of the chemistry in here. So instead of uh, getting caught up in too many of those details, um, I want to go to the, the end where he talks about the weight of evidence. And um, he says it shows uh, a design, it shows a creator. And I think this is really interesting because, well, I think about when I was young, uh, what was going on in science seemed to be going away from Christianity. People were so excited about figuring out that uh, you could create life from zapping. Uh, there, there was a Miller-Urey experiment, and you could uh, zap the early, the early atmosphere of Earth, and you could create amino acids, and therefore you didn't need God, and there's all this wonderful stuff going on. But now, in the last 20 years, let's say, or even 30 years, the more people research the cell, the more they research out in the universe, from the big to the small, they're finding more reasons to believe that there's design out there. And I think that's fascinating. So here we go. Let's let's take a look. This is toward the end there when he's trying to say that if you look at all of these systems inside the cell, that there is a God that had to be involved. And so he says uh, the examples that he's uh, covered in the book reveal some of the features about life's chemical systems. And they seem to be designed. And so he says, if you just look at these features from these systems, he said that should tip the scales in favor of creation rather than just random chance. So I'd like to go through this list. I don't know, he may have uh, 12 or 13 points here, uh, which summarizes the book very well. But if you like science and you want to see what's going on in the cell, you can take a look at a lot of diagrams and things like that. So what's what's one piece of evidence that says it may be uh, designed, the small-scale cell being designed? Well, it's something called irreducible complexity, and I bet you've heard of that before. It was uh, Michael Behe in his book, Darwin's Black Box, that brought that up. That Now, Rana is saying biochemical systems are irreducibly comple complex. What does that mean? There are all these small components, and they have to be there at the same time. They have to be present. If that system is going to work, Behe used the example of a mousetrap, you have to have all the pieces, the spring and the, the piece that snaps down and the piece of wood and the staple to hold the whole thing together. You have to have all of those. If you just have a spring lying there, you're not going to catch any mice. So anyway, he says um, irreducible complexity for the these systems, and that's what he goes into detail on if you read the rest of the book, for these systems, biochemical systems going on, for them to work, they all have to be present for that system to have any kind of function. And they said many man-made systems are also like that, irreducibly complex. You know, think again about the mousetrap. He says, so that indicates intelligent design. Well, here's a second point to say the evidence leans toward creation rather than random chance. He calls it chicken and egg systems, which came first. He said, it's really strange. You've got these bio biochemical systems that are made up of different components that require each other for all of the components to be produced. So here's an example. Ribosomes, they are the places in your cell that make proteins. 
okay. But the catch is ribosomes are formed from proteins. So you can't make a ribosome without proteins. You can't make proteins without ribosomes. So they, they are mutually interdependent on each other. And that seems to suggest intelligent design. I think that makes sense. Here's a third one, third area to say it's probably design rather than random chance. He calls it fine-tuning. He said a lot of these systems inside of us depend on a precise location and even an orientation of atoms in three-dimensional space. They have to be exactly oriented. That reflects intelligent design. Here's another point. He calls it optimization. He said a lot of these biochemical structures going on inside of us are designed to carry out some kind of spe uh, specific activity, but they have to be operating at peak performance. And he said man-made systems do the same thing, so that seems to suggest an intelligent agent. Another point, biochemical information systems. Where do you get information, he says? You get them from intelligence. You get it from intelligence. So the cell's biochemical systems are information-based. I mean, think about DNA. It's an alphabet, and it gives information. Where do you get information? From an intelligent designer. Then he talks about the structure of biochemical information. It's not just the mere existence of information systems. He said it also has structural features like language structure and the organization and regulation of genes it points to a creator. By the way, this idea of a regulation of genes is uh, getting to be very, very popular, that um, parts of our genetic system can turn on and turn off uh, at specific times. Amazing. Epigenetics, maybe you've heard about that. And that's uh, that was covered since this book came out. And you'll find a lot of information on that as well. Here's another thing that he says points toward a creator, biochemical codes. He said the information in these biochemical systems, they have encoded information. He gives three examples, the genetic code, something called the histone code, and even what's called the parity code of DNA. Now you can look those up in the book if you want, but the point is you have codes inside cells. Then he says we have genetic code fine-tuning. The rules that comprise the genetic code are designed really, really well, better than any alternative code to resist errors. So when the genetic code translates stored information into functional information, it's, it's set up to uh, catch any kind of problems there. Sounds again like uh, superior intelligence designed it. Uh, quality control. Okay, you have an efficient and reproducible production of quality products. That's what goes on out in the world today. We know that as well in uh, the world of uh, the human race, what we're up to, to doing. Quality control is a big deal. There's a section here called molecular convergence. So he says several of these biochemical systems and or biomolecules isolated from a different organism, you can look at them and they're structurally, functionally, and even mechanistically identical. Isn't that weird? So it's from coming from different organisms. So these biochemical systems have some kind of independent origin. And look how complex they are, he says. How could you conclude that blind, random, natural processes would independently produce some of these systems to be structurally identical. They call that molecular convergence. He said that reflects the work of a single creator. Yeah, and that makes sense to me too. He has a section here on strategic redundancy. 
He says, you think about engineers, what do they do? They often design systems with redundancy. Uh, I love the space program, and I know they do that for the space program too because you can't get up to a satellite or to a little uh, explorer on Mars and fix it. So there's often redundancy that goes on there. And he says, uh, we see that going on inside uh, genes. Many duplicated genes and genomes operate as a responsive backup circuit. Wow. He has a section on trade-offs and intentional sub-optimization. So he said, you know, you think about it. When an engineer is designing some kind of really complex system, that engineer may face trade-offs and have to design components to be suboptimal to actually function overall in some kind of optimal way. Now he said, you see that in some biochemical systems. So he says, based on these things, Based on some of these criteria that we just covered, he said it's significant that so many of these different characteristics of life's chemistry look a whole lot like our designs as humans. So I think that is really great. He also has even a, a further section, he calls it piling on extra pounds. So he said there's even more provocative aspects of life's chemistry that seems to point toward a creator. So he said... They're not necessarily part of biochemical intelligent designs, but he said it sure looks like uh, divine intervention there. Things like life's minimum complexity. He says, you know, <clears throat> even life in its bare minimal form is remarkably complex. Minimal life is so complex. There seems to be some kind of lower boundary. Uh, you can't get below several hundred genes, and you don't really get life unless you have those several hundred genes. So that's pretty complex. And he says molecular level organization of simplest life. He said the simplest life forms, just the basics, display unbelievable spatial and temporal organization at the molecular level. So these things just knock me out. He says there's exquisite molecular logic. He says these systems and the design of them seem clever. Pre-planning, he said, the assembly of the bacterial flagellum is an example. It takes a sequence of molecular events that are exactly right. The initial steps actually elegantly anticipate the final steps. Now he, of course, talks about molecular motors. We saw that in Behe's book. Individual proteins and protein complexes, they, they look a lot like and they act incredibly like machines made by humans. Cell membranes, he said, unbelievable. They're exquisitely organized. They have inner and outer surfaces. They allow uh, products to pass in and out. Again, it seems like a um, design feature with that. Um, he says, man can't do it better. He said, they're doing some amazing things here. So the end of this chapter just says the significance of these arguments. He said, it goes beyond the conclusion that there's a divine being. He said, it displays the handiwork of the God described in the Old and the New Testaments. It points to a divine mind at work here. And I think that's a really good way to end the chapter. He says, this, uh, the reason we can say that and begin thinking about this is that humans are made in God's image. And so we design and God designs. And so he says at the very end that we were made to be in a relationship with the Creator. So that's something especially wonderful to think about. So again, that's uh, Fuzz uh, Ron. He's now taken over. Hugh Ross has retired. He's now uh, the leader at Reasons to Believe, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. He came to our church one time and uh, did a great talk on things like what's going on on the cellular level. <clears throat> so 
I think this is great. You know, sometimes the world seems pretty dark. It seems like things are not going very well. Uh, we've got a lot of people sneering at religion. But in the area of science, and this is what just captivates me, in the world of science where people say, well, I don't trust anything religious, but I trust science. Uh, scientists are the, the priests of the 21st century. They don't say that, but I mean, that's kind of the way people see it. But guess what? Science is actually coming around, and because of astronomy and physics, and in um, Fuzz Rana's case inside the, the cell, more and more science is pointing toward the idea of a god. Isn't that great? So it's good good time to be alive and to be a believer in uh, God. Okay, well, I thank you for this time, and uh, you have a good rest of the day.